We are the Mystery History Podcast. I'm Allison. I'm Jordan. Hello. That's Riley in the corner. Riley the dog's here. The puppy. Ready to get down on part two. Part two. Part duh. Of Alcatraz <laughs> today. Yes. How you doing? I'm all right. How are you? How are you? Oh, I'm fabulous. Uh, That's just how I live my life, though. Fabulous. Yep. Er mm. day. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> we got some things to discuss. Uh-huh. Guess how many downloads we're at. 2.5. 2.5. Shaozhen. Shaozhen. That means that we're famous. To 2.5 thousand people? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty fucking That's famous. That's all I need, really. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. When you That's like, like, think about that many people in a room. No. A little bit of anxiety. No. Yeah. They couldn't all fit in a room. What about the fire code? Like a big fucking room, man. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> like a concert. Or there's oh. like a big room. Okay. Like a banquet hall. Yeah. If you will. Now you're thinking. Yeah. Using like that imagination. It. Ooh, I don't like really talking in front of people, though. I don't either. That makes my belly hurt. I don't like it. Mm-mm. Uh-uh. I'm not the center of attention type of person. No. You are. Am I? Yeah. I don't like to be in front of people. I'm better in small settings, like three to five people. I'm better like one-on-one. Or like... If there's two looking at me... Zero. If they got a lot of eyeballs on me, I, f- I freeze. Yeah. I'm not good. Yeah. Yeah, that's just differences between us. Isn't that weird? Mm-hmm. Came from the same people, but we're so different. We're alike in a lot of ways, but very different too. Yeah, we got the same nose. And it's the same kind of personality. Yeah, we're both hilarious. Yeah, I'm funnier though, but hey, mm-hmm. who's here? I'm not here to judge, you know? I'm judging you all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <I laughs> Another difference. That. That's like my biggest fear <laughs> is like... Talking in front of people. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm not. Mm-mm. When I was little, I wanted to be a stand-up comedian so bad. And like now, it's like mm, no, not for couldn't you. do it. At least now, though, it. podcasting has really yeah. I don't know. It's still weird. It was weird whenever we first started mm-hmm. talking. Maybe it was because we were side by side, yeah, and not talking at each other. Yeah, it's a lot easier now that I'm talking to you, right? Not to the wall, the wall. right? Yeah. Even though you know what I'm gonna say, because we're the same sometimes. Well, you'd rather talk to a wall. <laughs> Sometimes you're real Whenever dick. you're angry I'm never angry Okay I'm joy Oh yeah I'm joy to be around Rainbows and sunshine That's, Yeah exactly All the time All the time Um yeah So It was What July 4th Happy Independence Day Holla Thank you to everybody who Serve and Have served Our country <laughs> Yes Past and present. Yes. We appreciate, we appreciate you. you. Yep. Fireworks. Fireworks are kind of cool. Yep. They blow up. Yep. A they lot sure of, do. I don't know if a lot of your areas still had fireworks or not. Ours got, ours in Ohio were shut down. Mm-hmm. But we went to Pennsylvania Yeesh. for the fourth to spend it with our family and they had lots of explosions. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, so happy 4th of July, everyone. Yep. We want to give a shout out, as always, to Dead Academy Podcast for their awesomeness. Go give them a listen. True crime. Blood guts. Gore. Good stuff. And ladies. What more could you want, really? True. 
Uh, and then also the late night slice, even though they didn't give us a shout out, I'm still going to shout you out because I'm just a, a, I'm just a stand up person. Even gave him a mic for free. Yeah. The fuck you got to do for a shout out around here? I know. Apparently a lot more than that because we didn't get shit. Nope. But I'm not, not salty. Thing. I am. I'll say it. <laughs> I'm pissed. Pissed. So yeah, go give them a listen, I guess, if you want. Don't. I wouldn't. Kidding. Um, yeah. So go give them a listen. They talk about, you know, stuff. Yeah. Like movies. Like and not us. Games. They talk about stuff that's like yeah, not us. Yeah, they talk about everything but us, I'm pretty sure. But hey. Yeah. Whatever. They talk. They talk. Um, and then <laughs> thank you to Hook CMEC. They're a media company. Go mm-hmm. give them a like. Follow. Follow. Yep. Um, we are, we appreciate our partnership with, with them. Mm-hmm. Are you ready for part two? Yes. You ready to talk about more actress? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So let's let's dive in, shall we? Dive all the way in. Unless you got anything else to say? Uh uh-uh. uh. No more. I got stuff. nothing to say. Oh well, you can buy stuff from us. Oh yeah, we do have a thing. We have merchandise. Yeah. Mysteryhistorypodcast.com. dot com. Yeah, whole website. Website with yeah. stuffs that you can buy. Or hmm. you can subscribe to us on Patreon. Yep. Uh, and donate to, to the show. Yep. You can also view all of our episodes. Mm-hmm. Send us an email, mysteryhistorypod at gmail. At gmail.com. Yes. Or leave us a voice message on Anchor. Yeah. Still waiting. There's a link in the contact section of our website. Still waiting. You just click that link and then yep. talk into the thing. Yep. And as us. always, as always, we appreciate any kind of feedback, email, or giving us a comment on Apple. Yep. Um, giving us five stars. Yep. Like go I know and, you want to do. Go ahead and subscribe so that way whenever an episode comes out, you'll get a notification. It just downloads right to you. It shall do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think that's all yep. of the stuff. All of the stuffs. Okay, let's talk about Alcatraz some more, shall we? Yes. Last week, we left off with Robert Birdman Stroud Stroud of Alcatraz, mm-hmm. and now we are going to talk about the Battle of Alcatraz. Dun, dun, dun. Do you know about this battle? I do not. Oh, well, thank God, because <laughs> I'm going to tell you about it. Tell me something. So let's go back. Let's not go as back. far as we had prior, a <laughs> little bit earlier, or late, wait, later? Wow. 1946. Okay. <laughs> Now I know what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> we're going back in time. Yep. 1946. Yes. Okay. Okay. Bank robber <laughs> Bernard Paul Coy. Bernard. Bernard. Mm, terrible name. Coy. Coy Coy. From Kentucky was serving out a 26-year sentence at The Rock. The Rock. Um, after committing a holdup using a sawed-off shotgun. Not smart, Mm-mm. Mr. Coy. Uh, he created an escape plan with five other inmates. Coy had been studying the habits of several of the guards over a period of months to concoct a plan on escaping. Mm. On May 2nd, 1946, along with one of his accomplices, Joseph Kretzer, he, uh, Coy, rubbed axle grease all over his body, like you do, and started climbing the West End gun gallery cage. Once he climbed to the top, he opened the small bag he'd been carrying in his mouth, uh, and it contained a bar spreader. The bar spreader was handmade, and it was made from toilet fixtures from one of the prison shops. 
Uh, Koi set the bar spreader between the bars and using a small wrench, he separated them, creating an opening about 10 inches wide. Koi had not been eating to try to lose weight so he could squeeze through the opening, um, and he made his way into the West Gun Gallery. Now, spoiler alert, West Gun Gallery would lead me to believe there's guns in there. And there's a gallery. It's a gallery of guns. It's a gallery full of them. And it's on the West. The West. Yes. The West Side. West Side. You would be correct in all of those. Yep. So Koi grabbed a riot club and he hid in the doorway, okay? His accomplices lured an officer out lured. and lured him. <laughs> and while passing through the doorway, Koi jumped up, slammed him with the door, and clubbed him to the floor. Ooh. He then strangled him with a necktie. Dang. Not good. I feel like if you're in a prison, you shouldn't be wearing ties. I don't know why they wear the stuff that they wear. I mean, some of it, okay, whatever, a club. We'll give you that. But yeah, but a necktie is kind of... Yeah. Some of you walking, you could be walking by a cell. And just grab the back yeah. of your neck. Well, yeah, just grab, we'll just grab the tie part, and then, yeah, you're... Strangle. Yeah. Dead. Uh-uh. Mistake. Um, so, Koi started handing out fire, firearms and riot clubs to his partners, and he was searching for keys that would let them out of the, to the rec yard. That was their plan, is to get to the rec yard, and then they could get out. The convicts were able to capture nine unarmed guards and lock them into cells number 404 and 403. Uh, they were unable to find the key to the rec yard. Officer Miller, who had given the keys to the convicts, was able to actually take the key off oh, wow. that was to the rec yard before handing them over. Smart guy. Smart guy. And very quick. Mm -hmm. You know how hard it is sometimes to take keys off a key ring? <laughs> no kidding. That takes Especially when somebody's minutes. threatening you. Yeah. Uh, so good for him. Uh, he actually hid the key in the toilet of the cell while they where they were being held so it wouldn't be found on him. Hmm. Um, Koi and Kreitzer released three other prisoners, Clarence Carnes, the youngest, the youngest convict ever, actually, to be sent to Alcatraz, hmm. uh, Sam Shockley and Maron Thompson, who were all serving time for violent crimes. Other guards, guards, <laughs> other guards <laughs> heard the commotion and hit the distress siren. Uh, the distress siren was actually so loud that it could be he heard all the way on the shores of San Francisco. Hmm. That's going to be pretty freaking loud. Yeah, that'd be... Because you got boats, you got the waves, you got cars and stuff. That'd be very stuff. unsettling to be, like, yeah. on the beach and, and hear that. that. It's like, oh, my God, they're coming. <laughs> um, the Coast Guards, Marines, and all off-duty correctional officers were actually shuttled in to help take back the cell house. Hmm. The escape plan occurred after lunchtime, so many of the prisoners were at their jobs and not in the cell block, which was good news. Um, they huddled all the inmates in the rec yard since they couldn't go back to their cells. The escapees realized they would not be able to get to the rec yard, and Kreitzer took a revolver and started shooting into cell number 403, Whoa. where the unarmed officers were held because he was just so pissed because he knew it wasn't going to be good. Right. Um... At the admin office, the warden and his lieutenants had created a plan to send a strike team in to rescue the guards being held hostage. The first team was led by Lieutenant Phil Bergen, um, and he went in through the West End Gun Gallery, where two guards shot several times to clear the hallway. The team then entered and took position on the stairs at the first level. The inmates fired back at the officers, and Bergen tried to rescue the officer who'd been strangled with his necktie. By Coy. Harold Stites, a member of the rescue team, returned fire to provide him cover so he could try to resuscitate him. He was struck by a bullet along with three other officers. 
Stites was carried out unconscious, where he was pronounced dead after being laid on a couch. Damn. Bergen and four other officers returned to the gun gallery and found that the inmates were running from cell to cell and firing random shots. Uh, A little after 10 p.m., Associate Warden took a group of 14 officers and burst into the cell house hoping to rescue their co-workers. The team was hit by heavy gunfire. One of the officers was actually able to close the D-block access door so that they could provide him cover and was struck in the shoulder by a bullet. The inmates knew their chance of escape was slim, so Shockley and Thompson was like, screw this, and went back to their cells. <laughs> um, the Marines started throwing explosives into D-block. Coy, Kreitzer, and Hubbard hid in the utility corridor. The Marines drilled holes in the ceilings and were lowering hand grenades <sighs> attached to wires so they could detonate them. Wow, that's genius. Yes, and like, how scared. Would you be if you knew like just stuff was dropping from the ceiling and it was going to explode? Well, I imagine they tied a string to the pin. Yeah. They drop it in and then yank it. Yeah. So, wow. You had to see a grenade being repelled down. Not good. That's some ingenuity. That's genius. So Robert Stroud, who we just talked about, the bird man, was 56 years old at the time. And he actually tried to help end the battle. He climbed over the railing and lowered himself onto the floor of D block he started closing the front solid steel doors of the six isolation shell isolation <laughs> isolation cells to help protect the helpless inmates that were still on the block. So most of them were actually out at their jobs, but there were some other inmates in there just looking at all this carnage, not being able to do anything. Yeah, that'd suck. Um, Stroud yelled at Bergen that there were no guns on the block and that the inmates had went to another section of the prison. He told them that many innocent men would die if they continued to drop bombs and spray gunfire. Wow. Yeah. After almost 48 hours of battle, the gunfire stopped and Kreitzer, Coy, and Hubbard were killed in the corridor from bullet wounds and shrap metal from the bombs. Coy was found dead wearing a guard uniform. Ooh. Two officers, William Miller and Harold Stites, were killed. Tom- Thompson and Shockey, Shockley were executed by gas chamber at San Quentin for their role in the murder of Officer Miller, and Carnes received an additional 99 years to his sentence. Wow. Um, Shockley and Tom- Thompson actually died side by side in the gas chamber. Too. Huh. That's interesting. Um, we do have a hand-drawn cell house event, event map of um where everything was so we can post that mm-hmm. um Definitely to show that. you how everything happened and that is the battle of alcatraz that's wild yeah so the next one you have in our notes is another inmate named alvin creepy carpus <laughs> that is a name <laughs> that sounds like a like a terrible like one of those bad like halloween shows like the the guy who would introduce the movies yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Like Chill Bill. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or Chili Billy, whatever they called him. I don't it know. It sounds like Alvin Creepy Carpus. Like <laughs> terrible nickname. So Alvin Carpus was nicknamed Creepy because he had a sinister smile and was known for his alliance to the Barker gang in the 30s. Uh, he was the last public enemy to be taken. Carpus joined in the alliance with the Barker family where they merged into the Carpus-Barker gang in the 1930s. Ma Barker the matriarch of the family, accepted Carpus as her own. It was said that Ma ran the gang with an iron fist, but her sons and Carpus denied saying 
that she could even plan breakfast. She couldn't even plan breakfast. Yeah. Yeah. So not a good planner. No. Um, let alone a robbery, they said. They robbed a number of banks, hijacked mail deliveries, kidnapping, and did not hesitate to kill anyone who got in their way, including innocent bystanders. The group kidnapped William Ham, a millionaire Minnesota brewer. The ransom provided them with $100,000. They then abducted Minnesota banker Edward Bremer, which brought them $200,000. The father of Edward Bremer was a friend of, the, of President Franklin D. Roosevelt and J. Edgar Hoover. Well. Wow. Mm. Um, Wrong guy to be yeah, Robin, I feel like. No kidding. <laughs> FDR pushed the FBI and local police to hunt down the group and created a group of skilled agents called the Flying Squads, which specialized in hunting down public enemies. That year, in 1934, they caught and killed John Dillinger, Bonnie and Clyde, Charles Pretty Boy Floyd, Lester Babyface Nelson Gillis, um, John Red Hamilton, Homer Van Meter, Tommy Carroll, and Eddie Green. That's pretty... Uh, All in a year. That's insane. Yeah. And some big names on there. Yeah. Ma and Kirby's brother, Fred, were killed in an FBI shootout on January 16th, 1935, during a raid. Kirby and another member, Harry Campbell, managed to shoot their way out to an escape. But Kirby's eight-month pregnant girlfriend, Dolores Delaney, was hit in the thigh by a wild bullet from Campbell. He went on to continue crimes and sent word to J. Andrew Hoover he will be or he intended to kill Hoover the way Hoover had killed Mon Fred. I feel like not mm, the person you want to... smart. Yeah. Don't want to try to intimidate the president. But, yeah. Or no, he was the uh, head of FBI. Yep. Yeah. Jagger Hoover was appointed as acting uh, head of the FBI in 1924 and transformed the agency. Hoover vowed he would capture Carpus personally. Yeah, mm. not good to have a vendetta against somebody like no. that. On May 1st, 1935, the FBI located Carpus in New Orleans, and Hoover flew there to be in charge of the arrest. A dozen agents swarmed over Carpus's car, and Hoover announced that Carpus was under arrest. The arrest ended the big-name Depression-era criminals. And I, I also read, though, that people made fun of Hoover because Hoover wanted to be the guy that captured him. Mm -hmm. But they he let his team... Like, go in and, like, do the capture, and, and then, then he, he swooped in and in, was like, I got him. Took all the glory. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's kind of messed up. <laughs> so he was a bit of a sissy. That's I don't know. kind of a, yeah. Well, I mean, he's the... He's the head of the FBI. Yeah, he's he not going to be out there. Be, right. Yeah. Carpus was sentenced to life in prison. He was at Alcatraz from August 1936 to April 1962. He complained frequently about the conditions and fought one inmate, but served his time quietly and was considered to be a model inmate. He was an avid reader and held positions in the industries uh, and kitchen buildings. Um, in April 1962, when Alcatraz was in the process of being closed, he was transferred to McNeil Island Penitentiary in Washington State. And we got a picture of him. I would say he's kind of like, hmm, like a Jack Nicholson, only not. <laughs> I don't have any pictures of him smiling, but I could imagine that's how a smile would be. Like the Joker, you mean? Yeah. The Joker smile? Yeah. yeah. He looks very not threatening yeah. like, at all. He looks very, I don't know, mild-mannered, yeah. but I guess not. And he was an escape risk. Hmm. Huh. Hmm. Very interesting. Yeah. He was AZ325. Yeah. Two. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's, let's move on. Mm-hmm. We are going to go to James Whitey Bulger. 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 
You ever see that movie Black Mass? No, I really want yeah. to, and I know the movie is about him. Yep. And I love Johnny Depp. Incredible movie. So I would like to see that very much. Yep. Um, okay, so James Joseph Whitey Bolger, right? Bolger, yep. Was an organized crime mastermind from South Boston, Massachusetts. Wicked awesome. Wicked awesome. <laughs> well, fucking cockies. <laughs> he was known as a as a Robin style, Robin style, Robin Hood style, Robin Hood in tights. <laughs> he was a Robin Hood style criminal. So he liked to protect his neighborhood, and he liked to keep the residents safe, steal from the rich, give to the poor kind of guy. Bulger was allegedly responsible for 19 murders. So not like the greatest guy, but like no, he, he was, was a guy. He was a guy. In that movie, at least, they make him look like ruthless. Like, yeah. It is. He Bad. is terrifying. Really? Yeah. Um, in 1943, when he was 14, he joined the street gang known as the Shamrocks and was arrested for assault, battery, and armed robbery. He was sentenced to juvie and was released in 1948 when he joined the Air Force. Um, he was arrested in 1950 for going AWOL, but somehow became honorably discharged in 1952. So I don't know how you go AWOL and then get honorably discharged, but he did it. Yeah, that is weird. Um, and he re um, returned to Boston after that. Carl Smith was an accomplice in the robberies while uh, with Whitey was captured after several armed bank robberies and told authorities where Whitey was. Um he was caught in a nightclub in Massachusetts after being on the run for two months. He had dyed his hair and dressed differently to hide his identity, and he thinks Smith walked him into a trap. Um, that so motherfucker. I would, I would not want to be Smith. Mm -mm. On June 21st, 1956, Whitey was convicted and sentenced to 20 years for armed robbery and was sent to the ATL, Atlanta. Mm-hmm. His case file shows he was subjected to extreme testing under the MK Ultra project. Did this have it in the movie? The MK not. Ultra? No, it did not. I was very, this is very interesting. So um, he was subjected to extreme testing under the MK Ultra project. We need to do a yeah, we'll episode do a on that. Very interesting stuff. But just for, for your notes, MK Ultra was the code name of the U.S. government covert research operation experimenting in the behavior of humans and mind control. Through the CIA. Mm -hmm. The program began in the early 1950s, was fully sanctioned in 1953, but was actually reduced in 1964 and stopped completely in 1973. So they say. Pro, yeah. Well, probably for good reason, because... Because they probably did a lot of fucked up shit. They were, yeah. Um, the program engaged in many legal activities and subjected convicts as test subjects. Mm -hmm. Um they tried to manipulate people's mental state and alter brain functions by using drugs like LSD, hypnosis, sensory deprivation, isolation, and other forms of torture. For 18 months, Whitey and 18 other inmates volunteered for a lesser sentence to participate in the MK Ultra experiment. They were told they were helping to find a cure for schizophrenia. Um, Whitey was transferred from Atlanta to Alcatraz on November 16, 1959, and became inmate AZ-1428. He actually served alongside Alvin Creepy Carpus, who we just talked about. And written by Michael Eslinger, who interviewed Whitey, he said, Alcatraz was pretty good. 
even though San Francisco was close, we always felt so far removed from everything. It was like we were on the dark side of the moon. If I was there today, I'd be in the yard, sitting high up on the bleachers, getting the warm sun, looking across the bay, watching the ships and Golden Gate Bridge. It was the best view from any prison in the world. Yeah, I would imagine so. I would say it would yeah. be very beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, in 1962, Whitey was transferred to Leavenworth and the next year to Lewisburg Federal Penitentiary. He was released in 1965 after serving nine years in prison. That's pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, after he was released, he worked in construction and became a bookie for a loan shark with ties to Donald Killen, who was leader of the Irish mob in South Boston. In 1971, Keelan's bro- younger brother bit the nose off of Michael Dyer, who was a member of a rival, rival Mullen gang. A gang war soon erupted. And in those weeks, Whitey committed his first murder. He accidentally shot a brother of one of the gang members who actually wasn't involved in the war. Whitey continued to grow within the Boston Crime Syndicate and was eventually known as the most prominent crime mogul in Boston. He led his crimes with the Code of Ethics and only hurt other criminals. That's what I said. What? He's like a Robin Hood. Hmm. Yeah. Who kills people. Yeah, just like the story goes. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I heard it when I was a young child. Um, Whitey had been preparing to go on the run for many years and had an ID card and credit cards under his new identity, Thomas Baxter. He also had safety deposit boxes in locations across the U.S., Europe, Dublin, London, U.K., and Venice. Whitey was informed by a retired FBI agent that they were planning on making arrests during the Christmas season, so he left Boston on December 23, 1994, with his common law wife, Teresa Stanley. Whitey had, um, had meetings with his friend Kevin Winks and told him if he was ever asked about any of the crimes to pin it all on him. He, he could take it. Uh, Weeks cut a deal with the prosecutors and told them about their crimes of the past. He didn't know where Whitey was, but he knew that it wouldn't be easy for anyone to capture him. Before he went on the run, he would always say, let's all go to hell together. I would not want to hear that while running into battle. (laughs) (laughs) Um, He would rather plead to a life sentence than go to trial and put his family through all the embarrassment of you know, drudging up all that stuff from the past. Mm -hmm. Uh, Weeks believed if Whitey had a gun on him during his capture, he would rather go out in a blaze of glory than spend the rest of his life in jail. After 16 years on the run and 12 years on the FBI 10 most wanted fugitives list, Whitey was arrested in Santa Monica, California on June 22nd, 2011 He was charged with murder, conspiracy to commit murder, extortion, narcotics distribution, and money laundering. Agents found more than $800,000 in cash, 30 firearms, and fake IDs. Uh, Whitey claims he's not innocent on all charges, but he never killed any women, and he never provided any information to the FBI. Hmm. I actually read about whenever he got, like, whenever he was killed, I read about, like, how he got caught and all that stuff. But he, um, he got found because like his girlfriend or wife, wherever she was like used one, they had like a credit card and she like went to like a nail salon or something and used it. Really? And that's how they found out. It was like something that small. Wow. That's how they found them. That sucks. Yeah. Um, on August 12th, 2013, Whitey was found guilty on 31 of the 32 counts he'd been charged with. He was sentenced on November 14th, uh, 2013 and received two life terms plus five years. I don't really get that. 
well, why they do like, I mean, you're not going to be alive. Two life term. Well, they do it because they can do parole on one of them. Ah. So then they can get them. There's for the still other another one. one. Yeah. Yeah. They also do that too, where they sometimes I've read about cases where they there'll be like ten murders, mm-hmm. but they only try them for five murders. So that way, if they get parole you against those, you can again. get charged like because you can't do double jeopardy. Exactly. You ever well, seen that movie? Yeah. Yeah. So like, but that, if it's a different murder, it's not the same. Right. So you yeah. can't be charged with the same murder twice. Yeah. That's why they leave five open yeah. so you can get hit again. Exactly. That's very smart. Yeah. Hmm. Double Jeopardy is a good movie, by the way. I don't think I've ever seen it, actually. It's got one of the Ju- Ashley Judd, I want to say. Mm-hmm. and um, It's an older one, like 90s, right? Yeah, 90s. Yeah. And uh, Tommy Lee Jones, mm. very good. Man, Tommy Lee Jones has been about seven years old for 50 years. I know. He's looked the same. Well, he's looking pretty wrinkly, uh, I but I still love him. Um, on October 30th, 2018, Whitey was beat to death by two inmates um, while in prison. He was 89 years old. Have you seen that picture of him? Of him beat to death? Yeah. No. I, forget, like I read to. like an article about it, and yeah, it was... He seemed like... I don't know. I believe they filled... They put locks in a sock. Oh. And they be... Like, his head was like... Caved in. Yeah, it was very bad. How sad, like, to go and get through all that stuff, be 89 years old, and then get beat to death with a lock and a sock. Well, I mean, there was no happy ending to that story. No. I mean, 89 years, that's, that's a pretty, pretty good, good run. Yeah. You're not many that's gangsters only... live to be 89. Mm-mm. That's older than I'm going to live, probably. 89. Yeah. If I mean, if <laughs> me too. That's, if that's, we're talking real about that's it. That's on the I older mean, side of most people, really. Yeah, I mean. Yeah. So, yeah. Pretty interesting stuff. That, mm-hmm. I would highly recommend that movie, though. because I really want to see. Is it long? It's like three hours. I, and I think it's probably like, it's over two. Like two do you have it? Do you own I it? I do not own it. You should own it and right. then let me borrow it. <laughs> But like Johnny Depp, it's like one of those movies where you're watching it and then like halfway through the movie you forget it's like an actor playing. Like you, uh-huh. you just like totally are like. It transforms it's into nuts. Whitey. Yeah, it's crazy. Hmm. Um, so the next one we have here is The Great Escape from Alcatraz. Frankly, Morris uh, had a hard life and spent most of it in the prison system. He had said, he was said to be a brilliant mastermind and had a long list of escape attempts from, at other prisons. In 1960, he was eventually sent to Alcatraz to serve out his 14-year-old sentence for bank robbery. He became inmate AZ-1441. As soon as Morris got to the Rock, he started to draw out his plans for escape. Morris found brothers John and Clarence Anglin, who he had met previously at a federal penitentiary in Atlanta, who were also sent to Alcatraz after repeated escape attempts. Alan West was in a cell adjacent to Morris and was brought in on the escape attempt. He was serving out his second term and had a reputation as an arrogant criminal. He knew John Anglin from the state penitentiary in Florida. The escape plan started to form in December of 1961 by collecting old saw blades that West claims he found in utility corridors while cleaning. I feel like that's something you just don't leave laying around in a prison. Apparently you do. But only in utility corridors. That is... That's where I like to leave my blades. Like anything sharp should be like <laughs> taken out of the prison. Yeah. Um, the plan was very complex and involved lifelike dummy heads, water rafts, and life preservers that were made from over 50 raincoats that they had collected from other inmates. Some given, some stolen. That's a, Where do you hide 50 raincoats? I, I mean, know. that's a lot of raincoats. Yeah, that is a lot. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Interesting. 
They also fashioned tools to dig and make items necessary for their escapes. By May of 1962, Morris and Englands had already dug in their cells six by nine vent holes and had started to work in a vent on top of the cell block. The Englands lived in adjacent cells, as did Weston Morris, who were nearby. The inmates would alternate shifts, one digging and one being the lookout. They would start at 5.30 p.m. and continue until 9 p.m., just prior to lights out. John and Clarence made the dummy heads and gave them the names Wink and Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> their, their heads had been made from homemade cement powder and included soap and paper. They were painted peach from the prison art kits and human hair from the barbershop. Pretty ingenious. They're pretty. We have pictures of the um, of the heads, and yeah. they're pretty realistic. I mean, not, but it's pretty good. If for it's being just a glance, prison. yeah, just a yeah. glance, it would do the trick. Um, they stole glue from the glove shop and started cutting and bonding the raincoats to make a raft and life preservers. Each night, they would hide everything on top of the cell block in case their cell was raided. So that answers the coat question. Um, Still, fifty coats up there. I mean, it's just nobody's seen it. I just feel like that had to be a pretty big space. Well, yeah, it's probably, there's probably just, once you get above the cell, there's probably nothing there. Yeah, that's It's like an empty corridor. Uh, Wes was able to steal an electric hair clipper and use this along with the drill bits he stole to make a motorized drill, but but it was not very efficient. Wes learned that the prison vacuum had broken and was given permission to fix it. While looking at the machine, he found two motors and removed one to keep uh, and got the vacuum working with the other one. Morris and the Englands uh, used the vacuum motor for their drill. The motor was too noisy and not effective. Still pretty innovative to mm-hmm. think like that. Yeah. You got to be, I guess. Yeah, got nothing else to do. Um, after a month of preparing, they had all their gear gathered uh, that they would need to escape, and they continued to work on losing the ventilator grill on the top of the cell house. John Englund completed the raft while Morris modified the accordion to inflate the raft so they took apart an accordion to blow up the raft that's pretty cool that is pretty good yeah west had fallen behind in his digging and his primary role was to make life preservers and wooden paddles on the night of june 11th 1962 morris had loosened the top ventilator enough so where they could make an escape at 9 30 p.m that night right after lights out morris brought down the dummies and said they would the escape would happen that night Clarence Anglin tried to assist West in removing his grill by kicking it from the side, um, kicking it from the outside of his cell in the utility corridor, but was am- unable to remove it. Therefore, they had to leave him behind. That sucks. That does suck. That sucks so bad. <laughs> Poor guy. <laughs> Morris and the Anglins climbed 30 feet up the plumbing to the cell house roof and removed 100 feet across, the, or and moved 100 feet across the rooftop. They moved down the 50 foot of piping to the ground near the entrance to the shower. That would be the last anyone ever saw of Morris and the Angling Brothers. Wes was later interviewed and said uh, their plan was to use the raft to make their way to Angel Island. After resting, they would go back to the bay uh, on the opposite side of the island and swim through the waterway called Raccoon Straits. What a terrible name for a waterway. Um, Then from there, go on to Marin. They would steal a car, steal clothes, and go their separate ways. West eventually had gotten off his grill and climbed to the rooftop. His friends were not there, so he returned to his cell. That sucks. That's so sad. The FBI spent years investigating and later stated the inmates' plan had failed and they drowned. Um, there were some. Here are some of the reasons they suspected this. Um, no reports of crime or car theft or robbing from a clothing store in Marin were filed uh, 12 days 
up to 12 days after the escape. None of the escapees' friends or family had financial resources that helped them, nor did they receive any communication. No bodies were found, but it was common for people to die in the bay and never be found. The bay water temperatures ranged from 50 to 54 degrees, and exposure to the elements would have killed them within 20 minutes of being wet. Personal items carried by the inmates were found floating in the bay uh, the following day, along with a life preserver with heavy teeth marks in the valve. It was believed that the homemade clipped seal of the valve had failed, making it difficult for the swimmers to stay afloat. On July 17, 1962, the ship SS Norfolk uh, reported seeing a body floating 20 minutes northwest of the Golden Gate Bridge. The body was clothed full length in a denim trouser that was identical to the prison-issue uniforms. The England family stated that they had heard about the escape or were never contacted by the brothers. Hmm. What so. do you think? You think they made it? Mm, no, probably either. not. No. I feel like with all of the like notoriety of of this, eventually they'd be like, "I just got to tell someone." Exactly. They. The, I did it. I made it. They like to brag about yeah, yeah, stuff like that. So, especially that they were they were notorious for being trying to escape other prisons. Right. Right. So they would. Yeah, I would think they would brag about having escaped the hardest one to escape. Yep. All right. So that is all of the prisoners and the escapes and battles. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about life on the rock. Um, so upon arrival to the rock, inmates were given a 24 page booklet that they were to keep in their cell at all times. And this had all of the inmate regulations and rules in it. Um, the book had 52 chapters and had literally anything you could think of. I, I wanted to try to somehow put this into our notes, but there's no way. There's just too much. Um, but it has things like daily routine, rules for the bathroom, the cell house, dining room. Um, upon arrival, the inmates were issued the following. Um, they got one black and white pant, one cap, one wool coat, one blue shirt, one belt, one pair of shorts, one bathrobe, three pair of shocks. Two handkerchiefs, one raincoat, two pair of shoes, one wool undershirt on request, one pair of slippers, and one light undershirt. Um, extra clothing that could be issued would, for culinary workers, they get one shirt, one white cap, and one white pant. Barbers got one white shirt. Office orderlies got one white shirt. Passmen. And hospital orderlies also got one white shirt and one white pant. Um, you want to talk about the, the daily routines of these folks? Yeesh. So throughout the day, there are 13 body counts that are made every 24 hours. In addition, uh, shop foremans make six counts while they are at work. That's a lot of counts. That is a lot of counts. So 6.30 a.m., the morning whistle goes off. They make their beds, clean their cell, and get dressed. 6.45 to 6.55 a.m., guards position themselves to supervise mess hall, counts performed, cells are unlocked, and prisoners stand in a single-file line. At 7 a.m., uh, prisoners move toward the mess hall, and they are allowed 20 minutes for eating. When they are finished, they place their utensils on their tray and sit with their hands down at their side. After everyone is done eating, a guard walks around to make sure all utensils are accounted for. That's smart. And it there's is. a there was a proper I didn't put it in our notes but there was like a proper way that knives were to be to the left yeah the, you know there was a specific so they could just look at them real yep, quick and yeah. know that there it is yeah that makes sense that would be very tedious though every day oh, to yeah. have to do that, that would yeah suck. but you got to think 
There's only like 260 inmates. Yeah, times three utensils. True, but I mean, you're looking at one, one, yeah, one tray. Still, that'd be, it'd be very easy to miss one, I feel yeah, like. Yeah, if you're just like scanning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So 7.20 a.m. was rec yard time. 7.25 a.m., inmates previously assigned, um, are previously assigned a detail and they meet up with their guards to go through their assignments. Laundry, tailor shop, cobbler shop, metal shop, and all those shops. Gardening and labor labor details. 7.30 a.m., counts performed and work starts. 9.30 a.m., a rest period where inmates are allowed to smoke, but they're not allowed to crowd together. 9.38 a.m., count and work begins immediately. So you get an eight-minute break. Mm-hmm. That's a weird time. Um, 11.30 a.m., prisoners stop work and a count is performed. 11.35 a.m., um, in the rec yard, the mess hall line is formed. 11.40 a.m., lunch and mess hall with the same routine as breakfast. Um, 12 p.m., noon lockup and cell count. 12.20 to 12.50, or 12.25 p.m., inmates return back to work and counts are done. 2.30 p.m., rest period. 4.15 to 4.20 p.m., work stopped and counts are done. 4.25 p.m., mess hall for dinner with the same procedures as before. 4.45 to 5, prisoners return to their cells, final lockup, and counts performed. 8 p.m., standing counts and cells. 9.30 p.m., lights out. And 12.01, 3 a.m., and 5 a.m., head counts performed. So all kinds I mean, of counts going on. Really, though? Like, okay, 6.30 isn't that early. No, it's not. And 9, that's... 9.30 is pretty early. Well, 9.30 to 6 is a long-ass time. Yeah, that's a lot of sleep. Yeah. And then, so if you were in prison, what detail would you want? What job would you want? Oh, I don't know. Probably uh, something where you're moving around. I'd want to be in, like, with the food. I would not. So I could take some extra bites. <laughs> <laughs> I think, like, the tailor shop or, like, cobbler shop would be cool. Good to work their hands. Yeah. Laundry would be cool. Good. I, would not if you, I wouldn't either. I would no. hate that, but it would be good because if you needed something, you could take it. I'm sure they monitor that, but yeah, in theory, you could. Or they have model model shop. You could, you can make like models. Yeah, just some, I'd like to do something with my hands just to keep your mind busy and set. I, I feel like laundry. You just be like, that's one of those things you do, but you're thinking about something else. Mm-hmm. I know here the signs, like the street signs, yeah. are made at our prison. They used to be, I don't know if it still is, they, well, not anymore. They're, they used to make, back in the day, they'd make uh, license plates. Yeah. All the license plates and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So let's get into some facts about Alcatraz. Some of the burning questions you've been thinking to yourself all mm-hmm. episode. When are they going to address this? Yeah. I'm going to address it right now. Right meow. Right meow. Um, okay, so I kind of mentioned it before. The average cell um, in cell block B and C were five feet by nine feet. Mm-hmm. So they had a small sink with cold water, no hot water. That's too too fancy. Too fancy. A small cot and a toilet. Most men could extend their arms and touch each wall within their cell. I would get so I would be. I have anxiety when it comes to small spaces. I don't like it. I would be, it would be better though. The fact that they're by themselves. Yeah. But still, um, cell block D, which was the segregation were a little bigger, but inmates were confined to their cell 24 hours a day with the exception of one visit per week to the rec yard where they were by themselves. Um, that'd be some place for you. What? Segregation. You don't have to talk to anybody. That'd be fantastic. Not a talker. (laughs) Um, (laughs) 
There were 336 cells in blocks B and C. There were originally 348, um, but 12 were removed when a stairway was installed. There were 36 segregation cells and six solitary confinement cells. Two cells on the end of C block were used as bathrooms for the guard staff. Sometimes they got to poop, you know? Mm, I get it. Um, cell block or cells in block A were used a few times for short term lockup periods, like if they were being transferred. But the cells were used for Carnes and Shockley and Thompson, who were accomplices in the Battle of Alcatraz. They were being held there mm. um, after they were captured. Guards. Where their families live? On the island. I read a book when I was little. I know, crazy. What? I read, you read a book. Yeah, but it was like a. It was about a guard's kid. And huh. It was like from their perspective. Really? Yeah, it was very interesting. That's crazy. Um, yeah, so they lived on the island. Uh, there were about three hundred civilians living there at any given time. They were mostly housed in Building Number Sixty Four. They had a bowling alley, a convenience store, and a soda shop. There was. Or a pop shop, if you're from Ohio. <laughs> we say pop around these parts. Mm-hmm. There were 12 um, runs from Alcatraz from the pier, so they could have plenty of time to, like, go to a, the boat and, like, shop on the... Mainland. Same, yeah, the mainland. Um, the warden lived in a big house close to the cell house, and he actually used inmates with good pe- behavior to cook and clean for him. So what job would I want? That's the job I would yeah, want. Yeah, no kidding. But that, that book I was reading to, the, the kid said he would sleep in all his clothes and his shoes every night. Because Just in a, case they'd have to run? He was afraid of, like, people breaking out. That's terrifying. Yeah, that would be super. That'd be All the time. Yeah, that'd be very scary. Because, yeah, okay, they might not be able to get off on the off the island, but you're on the island. They can get island. to you, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and you can't get off the island either. Uh-uh. Um, so eight people were murdered by inmates on Alcatraz. Five men committed suicide and 15 died from natural causes. Alcatraz did not uh, did have its own morgue, but bodies were usually sent to San Francisco County Coroner uh, to do the autopsies. No autopsies were performed on Alcatraz. The highest number of inmates at any given time was 302, and the lowest was 222. The average um, inmate was about 260. Uh, there was a total of 1,545 inmates. That went through Alcatraz. I would have guessed so many more. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The average stay for an inmate was about eight years. Are there sharks in the bay? Probably. This is the big question, (laughs) of course, that I wanted to know because I love sharks. Yeah, there are. But they are typically smaller ones. Mm. Um, Like the brown smooth hound shark or the leopard shark. Great whites usually don't swim into the bay. They usually are outside the bay. Because they like warmer water, don't they? Yeah. Because it's, it's, that's North California, so that's like it's yeah. probably not the warmest water. Yeah, so they, well, they probably go in there to like usually birth, do their little mermaid sacks <laughs> of children. Um, but uh, yeah, great whites usually don't swim inside the bay, but in 2015, a great white shark breached out of the water to get a sea lion. <laughs> Could you imagine witnessing that? It was very close to the Alcatraz Man. Island dock. That I'd, would, like, make my life. I'd have to change my Could pants. you imagine I'd be at Alcatraz on the dock and a great white shark <laughs> breached the water? That'd be it. That'd check so many things off my bucket list. That would be wild. <clears throat> yeah. So those are some fun facts. All right. So now we're talking about when they shut it down. Shut it down. 
1963, Alcatraz Prison was too expensive to maintain and it started falling apart. It was shut down by Attorney General Robert F. Kennedy. The 27 final inmates were taken to the San Francisco airport to be flown to other maximum security prisons around the country. Jim Albright was the last inmate escorted off the island. Hmm. What a flight that must have been. And what a <laughs> thing to be known for. Yeah, that, that is wild. the last person off the rock. I'm sure he talked about that the rest of his life. I'm sure. In 1969, during its shutdown, the area was occupied by a group of Native Americans for 19 months. They just... I mean, we probably took it from them first. And they just took it back. Yeah. In 1972, Alcatraz is bought by the National Park Service and becomes a part of the Golden Gate National Recreation Area. Today, Alcatraz gets 1.5 million visitors a year, which is more than any national park. Pretty amazing for just such a small amount of land. Mm -hmm. Each year, hundreds of athletes participate in the Escape from Alcatraz Triathlon, proving that with training and proper gear, it is possible to swim from Alcatraz and survive. It was first held in 1980. The event it includes a 1.5-mile swim from San, or to San Francisco, plus an 18-mile bike ride and an 8-mile run. That sounds so tiring. Yeah. Don't sign me up for that. That does sound rough. I would love, love, love to visit Alcatraz. <clears throat> that is on my, my list yep. of things to do. Just like the architecture and the history and all that good stuff. It looks like, yeah, it doesn't, it looks like it's straight out of like the 60s still. Like it's something about it is just... It's really ominous. Cool. Yeah, it is very ominous. Um, okay, let's talk about the little ghosties of Alcatraz. Um, you, I'm sure that you can find way more stuff. There's books that have been written, everything on the ghosts of Alcatraz, but I'm just going to kind of give you a, a brief little... Synopsis. Synopsis, if you will. Yes, of the, the ghosts of Alcatraz. Um, it's been on several ghost shows. I feel like every episode I bring up Ghost Adventures, they went there. Um, it said that many of the Native Americans that were held at Fort Alcatraz actually haunt the property. Because we just told you, there wasn't very many deaths that occurred there, like in the prison. Mm-hmm. Most of them was natural causes or suicide or, you know. Right. Um, Former guards of Alcatraz report having paranormal experiences like hearing sounds of crying, moaning, terrible smells, and what they report as the thing. Ooh. The thing. Um, Which is some sort of entity that has glowing eyes. Um, There's also been reports of phantom prisoners and soldiers. Warden Johnston who did not believe in ghosts um, said that he's encountered some unexplainable sounds of like women crying while leading guests on tours of the prison. The cries were also heard by the guests and was described as coming from inside the walls. No, thanks. When the crying stopped, an icy cold wind blew through the group like it does. Since the 1940s, these apparitions have appeared near the warden's house. On one account, during a Christmas party, several guards said they saw a ghost of a man who materialized before them wearing a gray suit, brimmed cap, and mutton chop sideburns. You need to get some mutton chop sideburns. Nope. Bring it back. Nope. Bring it back. Nah. Um, As the guards looked at the ghost, the room turned very cold and the fire on the stove went out and the spirit vanished. When the prisoner was open... I'm sorry. When the prison was open. <laughs> I was like, what? When the prison was open, guards would hear phantom cannons and gunshots along with eerie whistling. 
The sound was actually so real that it made some of the guards believe that the prisoners were escaping. Wow. <laughs> That'd be scary. Mm-hmm. Um, and that they had gotten to the weapons. They would then see a flash, flashing green light that would soon disappear. They would also sell, smell smoke coming from the empty laundry room as if something was on fire. The black smoke would be so thick it made the guards actually leave the room. Then they would come back a few minutes later and the room would be smoke-free. I wonder, I didn't even think about, like, it it was a prison, or not a prison, a uh, military compound before. Before, so So it could have been people dying there. But Mm -hmm. yeah, like Alcatraz itself didn't have very many deaths. But yeah, I'm sure that there's bloodshed on anything we Americans touch. (laughs) Yeah. Pretty much. True. Um. So D block of the prison continues to be a hot spot of activity. Um, D block was solitary confinement. Guards would often see a ghostly apparition of a man dressed in late 1800s attires walking the cell. On an occasion, a prisoner placed in the hole immediately started screaming, saying that someone with glowing eyes was in the cell with him. He screamed the whole night. The guards thought he was joking or that he wanted out and just left him be. When they went to check on him, um, the following morning, the prisoner was found dead, and he had a horrible expression on his face and handprints around his throat. Whoa. Now, this doesn't really make sense to me because we just went over how many checks they performed. You're right. So, I don't really know how that happened, but um, the autopsy revealed that the strangulation was not self-inflicted. Many people believe that maybe he was strangled by a guard who was sick of hearing him scream. That I could believe more than a ghost. Yeah. Even though I would love to believe that it was a ghost. Excuse you, Riley dog. He just sneezed. Uh, but yeah, I mean, maybe he did it. Because it doesn't make sense with the checks. Well, they were three hours apart from each other. So, I mean, like 12 yeah, to 3, 3 to 6. That's true. I mean, yeah, could have happened. Yeah. Uh, visitors today feel cold spots in the hallway of D Block. Cells 12 and 14 are the most active. Uh, cell 14 has been recorded of having a 20 degree temperature drop That's from cell weird. to cell. That's weird. Yeah, that is weird. Some park rangers refuse to go in there alone. That's one of those things, though. It's almost the building itself is just, like you said, ominous looking. So yeah. it's, you kind of go in there with an uneasy feeling. Well, I went and I told George earlier that I'd like to do a, um episode on Ohio Refor- Reformatory yeah. Prison. Um, where Shawshank was filmed, I went there on the way home from a business trip. I was coming from Chicago and stopped there. And I would, it would be so creepy to go there at night because it's so big. There's mm-hmm. so many th- places to hide. It's not so much like the ghosts. Is yeah. there somebody in there squatting that could kill me? Like it's, it's so much more other things than just ghosts. Well, there's something very unsettling about a building that looks like a castle that's yeah. falling apart yeah. and it's nighttime and it's just, yeah, like there's so many spaces. It's, yeah. it's just, yeah. And I got to tell you too, I would be afraid of just going anywhere at night because you could fall like, especially at Ohio state reformatory. I mean, they were like five cells tall yeah, and it's all old. If one of the, the things would break, mm-hmm. you'd be dead. Right. So, so that is all we have actually on Alcatraz. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to cite our sources. I use history.com, wikipedia.com, Mercury News, Alcatraz History, and Legends of America. The last few episodes that we've had, there's always been a website that you can, like it started with Dyatlov Pass, mm-hmm. <laughs> a website that you can just get lost in. 
AlcatrazHistory.com is another one of those. You can spend hours and hours just going through everything. It's got the um, the handbook that I was telling you about, a copy of that, so you can go on there and go wild. Spend as much time as you want just learning stuff. Hmm. So, so that is our episode. Yep. You got anything else to say about Alcatraz? I do not. You got anything else to say in general? I do not. Okay. <laughs> well, we hope that you all enjoyed this part two of Alcatraz. Mm-hmm. And make sure to rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. Yep. Give us a give us a comment, send us a voice message, an email, talk to me. Anything. Yep. Talk to us. We're here. We're, We're here, here to listen. We're here for you. Yep. All right, well, y'all have a good week, and we will talk to you soon. Bye.